few years ago, I was uh, stranded in a parking lot, and my car wouldn't start. I didn't know what to do. I'm not really like a handy guy. I don't carry tools in the car. I'm like, do I call 911? What do I do? So I saw it on a movie one time. You're supposed to lift the hood, right? So I'm peering into the car, looking. Everything looks fine to me, you know? All of a sudden, a big truck pulls up. A guy hops out of the truck. He leaves the truck idling. He looks at the car. He doesn't say a word. He walks back to his truck. He walks over with a red rubber mallet. And he kind of pushes me out of the way. And he smacks my battery. I thought he might hit me afterwards. I was a little nervous. He said, now start it. So I was like, whoa. I was like, man, this guy hits the battery and my car is supposed to start. Sure enough, the car turned over and he said, clean your battery terminals and you'll be fine. And he rolled out. I was like, is this what the Bible talks about when it says that angels come and assist us? Who is this guy? I don't know if you've ever needed a hand before. You've ever needed a little help, needed somebody to kind of push you along a little bit. Maybe you didn't need a hand out, but you just needed a hand up. You know, you just needed somebody to point the, the right way, somebody to give you a word of encouragement, somebody to share an idea with you, somebody to maybe give you some type of assistance. We've, we've all been through those seasons in life where we need a hand, a helping hand. And today we're going to look at the hand of God. Because most importantly, we need God's hand to help us in and through our lives. I want to introduce a Bible character to you today that you probably have not thought a whole lot about. His name is Ezra. Everybody say Ezra. Ezra, Ezra is an Old Testament preacher. He's an Old Testament priest. And a lot of times when we think about Old Testament characters, we think about guys like Abraham or Joseph or Elijah or Jacob, but, but Ezra, even though he, he's maybe a little less known, he is a, an amazing man of God. And part of the commentary on the life of Ezra is that the hand of God was with him. And, and like six times in the book that bears his name, the scripture records, and the hand of God was with him. And I was reading that a few weeks ago, and I thought, man, what a great, what a great commentary to have on, on a person's life, right? Like, when people think of Ezra, if you know the story of Ezra, you're like, oh, the hand of God. Yeah. And I began to ask myself, what would it look like if the hand of God was, was on our life? Like, what would that be like? What if God was the one that was leading and directing us and, and encouraging us and helping us. And the hand of God is, is really a figure of speech that, that points us to the sovereign power of the creator of the universe and his actions on behalf of his people. And we all need the hand of God, don't we? Now, to set the stage a bit, 597 B.C., a guy named Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. World history records it. And he took the best and the brightest of all the Jews back to Babylon. 
And if you've ever read the story of like Daniel and the lion's den or the book of Daniel, that happened during this time period. And the Jews have been separated from their homeland. And Jewish peoples for thousands of years have had a special connection with the city of Jerusalem. It's the sacred city. It's the capital city of Judaism. And the, the people of God are now in a faraway land. But after the uh, Babylonian Empire took over, uh, the Persian Empire came and replaced the Babylonian Empire. And the kings of Persia were sympathetic to the Jews. And they began to encourage the Jewish people to go back to their homeland and to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. So like the book of Nehemiah is the story of the, the people of God rebuilding the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah is the builder of the wall. Um, a guy named Zerubbabel in the early pages of the book of Ezra rebuilds the temple so that the Jewish people can reinstitute temple worship. So Zerubbabel and Nehemiah are builders. Ezra is in the same time period, but Ezra is a spiritual leader. He's a faith leader. He reinstitutes he re temple worship and the focus uh, on God. So God uses Nehemiah and Zerubbabel to do construction, and he uses Ezra as a spiritual leader to reignite faith in the hearts of the Jewish people. And God, sends, uh, uh, God gives a word to the Persian king to send Ezra back to his homeland, and he's going to get the people back on board worshiping the Lord. But there's a problem. When, when he arrives, he, he's, he's saddened by the fact that groups of Jews that have gone on ahead of him have now begun to practice the Canaanite religions. Okay, So it, it's, it's kind of like one of those weird scenes. Maybe you, you saw Clark Griswold when the Griswolds got to Wally World and it was closed. Do you guys remember the panic that was going on? This is Ezra when Ezra gets to Jerusalem because he thinks this is the city of God. The people of God are going to be excited about worship. People are going to be pumped that I'm there. Well, not so much. It didn't go that way. Uh, in fact, um, people, are, people are pretty upset with him because he, he, he leads some pretty radical uh, changes uh, to go on in the life of the Jewish people. Now, it, actually the commentary is that the Jewish people have now pract started practicing the religion of the Canaanite people. And the Canaanite religions were kind of whack. They were kind of wild stuff. Like, they had um, younger people that were forced into cultic prostitution, okay? And um, several of the Canaanite gods believed that if you wanted to have fertility in the fields then you had to go visit the, the, the cultic prostitutes associated with those deities. And so people were forced into sex slavery as part of the religion of the Canaanites. Um, under the god of Moloch, he required that uh, to have good luck for your household, that the firstborn of your family had to be sacrificed. And archaeologists have had the, found the ruins of little babies that uh, had their lives taken, they would put them into a jar and they would build them into the house for good luck. And so it's obvious that Ezra, being an upstanding Jewish man that is under the teachings of the law of Moses, is pretty offended by this, rightly so. 
And when he sees the Israelite people beginning to mix their religion with the religion of the Canaanites and to intermarry with the Canaanite people and to, pr to practice the traditions and the, the religious practices of the Canaanites, this is a problem. Okay, And so we've been in a series called Cinderella Stories, which is about the underdogs of the Bible. And Ezra is an underdog because he, as a man of God, is leading massive reform and change uh, in, in a time and a place where people have left their faith and have uh, abandoned the teachings of, of Moses and the traditions of Judaism. It's a big uphill battle. Um, God had actually warned the Israelites to not get involved in the teachings of the Canaanite religions, over in Deuteronomy 12, verse 30, uh, Moses wrote, Be careful, do not be ensnared by their ways after they have been destroyed before you. Do not inquire about their gods, asking how did these nations worship their gods. Uh, I'll also do the same. You must, you must not do the same to the Lord your God because they practice every detestable act which the Lord hates for their gods, even they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Be careful to do everything I've commanded you. Do not add anything or take anything away from it. So Moses tells the people before, listen, don't get mixed up in that stuff, guys. Stay away from it. But the hand of God is with Ezra. Uh, and, and I want you to see a couple of things today that are related to how the hand of God might be in your life. Okay, amen? How many of us would say, I would be excited if the hand of God was leading my family. Come on, just raise your hand. Like, I, I want, I, I'd like to have the hand of God maybe, you know, direct me, open some doors of opportunity. Somebody would get excited about that. What was it about Ezra that, that led the hand of God to lead and direct him? Okay, and I want to give you two things today to think about. Number one, Ezra is a person that studies the Word of God. Okay, he studies the Word of God. Okay, so the Word of God is in the heart and the mind and the life of this preacher. Okay, look, look there in chapter 6, verse 6. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king had granted him everything he requested because the hand of the Lord was on him. So do you see the connection there? The, the, the king is like, Ezra, whatever you need, buddy, whatever you want to go back to Jerusalem and, and, to, and to, to reinstitute the temple worship, I'll give it to you. But it also ties it to the fact that, that, that the word of God um, was deeply entrenched into the heart of Ezra. In fact, it says he was a scribe, which means that he had to have profound insight and knowledge into the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all written by Moses and, and many believe that he may have even memorized all five of those books of the Bible. Like Ezra was, was a Bible nerd. The word of God just kind of oozed out of him everywhere that he went. And it says that the hand of God was on him. You see, if we want the hand of God to be on our life, we have to be students of God's word. And, and we have to have the word of God not just... Not just on our lips, but also in our heart, in our mind. Uh, everywhere that we look, we need to have Bible uh, running out of our lives. Let me ask you a question. When you have a problem, what is the first response? You know, do you, do you know like Bible verses to say to yourself? 
to help you get through that struggle. Or if a friend comes to you and says, hey, I have an issue, I have a need, I don't know what to do. Do you know stories in the Bible that instill faith and hope and truth that might help a friend? You see, God wants us to move beyond just, just even being like an encyclopedia of biblical knowledge. God wants us to have a biblical worldview. In other words, we look at the world through the lens of Scripture. And, and unfortunately... There's a lot of people that come to church and, and worship on Sundays, but truth be known, they're no different than their next-door neighbors that don't go to church, and they raise their kids the exact same way and have all the same view, viewpoints and ideas. The only difference is what they do on Sunday morning. If that's the case, we don't have a biblical worldview, but when you begin to see your life and your circumstance through the lens of God's word, the hand of God will be on your life because you are operating in faith. You are operating by God's divine principles. You are putting into practice the teachings of God's word that are going to bring prosperity and blessing and truth and encouragement and hope into our lives. When we have the word of God, we will have the wisdom of God. And that's why the Apostle Paul said over in Colossians chapter 3, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. Let it dwell among you. Um, when we're tempted to say something unkind, we think of verses like Ephesians 4.29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good. In other words, we, you know, we may be tempted to to say things around the office or at work or, or whatever. We get upset, we get frustrated, and, and we think, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really say what I think, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond accordingly. And, and yet we're, we're thinking today through the Scripture, uh, I can't do that. I, I can't go there. Um, this is why Christians should abstain from the use of drugs and being drunk. You know, the book of Ephesians tells us don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you live a life of intoxication, you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. They, they can't be synonymous together. And, you know, this is a big struggle in our, in our culture and in, our, in the world that we live in. A lot of people today love to be drunk or love to be high. But we can't fulfill the, God, the plans that God has for our lives if we don't do what God's word has said. And if we hide the word of God into our heart, guess what happens? Then we get the word of God out of us, and it brings joy and prosperity. Now, now look a little get a little bit more, uh, a, a little deeper there. Ezra 7, 9 and 10, it says, uh, He began the journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month. And since the gracious hand of of his God was on him. There's that phrase again. Now Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord. Okay, now check this out. He obeyed it, he taught it, and he studied it. Do you see it there? Study the law of the Lord, obey it, and teach its statutes and its ordinances in Israel. So again, Ezra is so focused on God's word. He wants to study it. Okay, I want to learn it. He wanted to obey it. Okay, because if you just study God's word and you don't put it into practice, it's no good. Amen? we got to study it and obey it and then teach it. Right? Teach it. 
To, to teach it is the highest level of understanding. Many of you know that I've been a youth basketball coach for a long time, and sometimes I'll look out on the court, and I'll see things going on on the court, and I'm like, that doesn't look right. We're not in the right defense. We didn't make the right pass. And I have to think deeply sometimes about, now how am I going to teach the boys to do this correctly? It's one thing to recognize it, it's another thing to be able to teach it to somebody, right? And, and the highest level of knowledge is to be able to impart wisdom into somebody else's life and to help them make those steps and those changes into their own existence. Now, this is the life of Ezra. Ezra is studying it. He's obeying it. He's teaching it. And in addition to that, he also has a heart to seek God. So he studies the word of God and he seeks the heart of God. Okay, so why is the hand of God on this man? He's focused on God's word, and then secondly, he's seeking God. Okay, look at this in, in chapter 8, 21. I proclaimed a fast by the Ahava River so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey before us, our dependence and all the possessions. I did this because I was ashamed to ask the king for infantry and cavalry to protect us from enemies during the journey since we had told him the hand of God is gracious to all who seek him, but his fierce anger is against those who abandoned him. So we fasted and pleaded with our God about this, and he was receptive to our prayers. Okay? So he says, listen, we didn't have all the protection that we, that we preferred, and we got a long journey, and it's dangerous to travel in the ancient world, we didn't have everything that we wanted, but what did we do? We sought God. See, you may not have all the money to do what you want to do, but listen, if you will be a person that will seek the heart of God, if you will seek Him, you'll find Him. If you seek for Him with all of your heart, do you see it? You may not have all the experience and the wisdom that you need to do what you feel like God's leading you to do. But listen, if you will seek after God, if you will seek after him, God will show you. And he says, we fasted and pleaded with God and we had a safe journey. When's the last time that you spent time fasting and praying? When is the last time that you really went after the Lord. I have found in my own experience that those intense times of seeking God usually come in the greatest moments of adversity. I remember when I was an 18-year-old boy, my parents went through a really nasty divorce. And I began to seek God. Changed the whole direction of my life because as a high school kid, as a senior in high school and a freshman in college, I began to learn about what it meant to spend time with God, what it meant to study God's word, what it meant to pray. And, and it changed the whole trajectory of my life. Adversity is a great opportunity to teach us to seek after God. You see, you may feel discouraged this morning, you may feel a little disheartened about what's going on in your life, but man, what an opportunity to seek God. 
What an opportunity. God's going to show you so much more than you could ever hope for or imagine if you'll go after him. And so the people had a fast, and they pleaded with God. It's beautiful, isn't it? When the hand of God is with me, I will prevail and do everything that God has purposed for my life to accomplish. I mean, you can't go wrong. I love that. But the hand of God um, is found through seeking God and studying God's word. But the hand of God also gives me strength to carry on. I want to mention a couple other things here too. Look at Ezra 7, 27 and 28. Blessed be the Lord, the God of the ancestors, who was put, who put it into the king's mind to glorify the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Okay? And, and who has shown favor to me before the king, his counselors and all his powerful officers. So I took courage because I was strengthened by the hand of the Lord, my God, and I gathered the Israelite leaders to return with me. Now, Ezra is saying, listen, I found strength from God, and God put it into the mind of the king to send him back to lead the people in worship. Now, this is awesome, okay? It wasn't Ezra's idea to go back to Jerusalem. This was the king's idea. And God put the thought into the king's mind. Amen? Listen, there's a lot of people in the world that think they have a lot of authority, but no one has more authority than God. And the greatest way for us to live our lives is to find out what the thoughts of God are for our purpose. This was, this was set in the imagination of God. I mean, God is the one that started this whole thing. If you read even in the early verses of the book of Ezra, the preceding kings of Persia before Artaxerxes, this king that's mentioned here. God is provoking the hearts of these kings. It's a God idea. And the Persian kings are extremely positive about Ezra going back and rebuilding this temple. This was, this was something that God put into the minds of people. Listen, the greatest ideas you will ever have are ideas from God. Isn't that awesome? Think about that today. We should be praying, God, give me your ideas. Sometimes we're telling God what our ideas are. Let me tell you, your ideas pale in comparison to God's ideas. God's vision for your life is so much bigger than yours is. And we need God ideas to direct us and lead us. God's putting those ideas in there, isn't it? Your best ministry ideas are going to come from God. Your best business ideas are going to come from Him. Okay, God's ideas are always the best. And God is putting ideas in your head. Sometimes God's putting ideas in the heads of other people. I mean, I have some friends that I love to call when I like to dream. And they have the craziest ideas. And I just love to talk to them. I'm like... I get so uncomfortable every time I call you. I love this. This is so good. God ideas. Ezra 8.31 says, We set out from the Ahava River on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. We were strengthened by our God, and he kept us from the grasp of the enemy and from the ambush along the way. Man, God is protecting. Do you see it? God's, God protected Ezra. God protected the people on this journey. God is going to protect you. The strengthening hand of God on your life. God 
is a protecting God. We need to be praying for God's protection over our lives. But the hand of God not only gives me strength to carry on, it also gives me a passion to serve. As Ezra is about to leave on this journey, it says, I searched among the people and the priests, but I found no Levites there. And then I summoned the leaders, and I sent them to Edu, the leader, with a message for him and his brothers, the temple servants, that they should bring us ministers for the house of God. Since the gracious hand of our God was on us, they brought us, okay, you're going to love these names, Sherebiah, a man of insight, along with his sons and brothers, plus Hashabiah, along with Jeshiah, from the descendants of Merai, and his brothers and their sons. There were also 200 of the temple servants who had been appointed by David and the leaders for the work of the Levites. Now, the Levites in the Old Testament are the worship leaders. Okay, they're the, they're the ones that form the choir. They're the singers. They're the musicians. They're, they're the Levites. So whenever you see the word Levites, I want you to think of man buns and skinny jeans. Okay? <laughs> Amen? Okay? You, you might say to somebody after church, you, are you a Levite? <laughs> you know? And Levites were people that were set aside to be worship leaders. They were a tribe, descendants of Levi, but their whole responsibility was to lead worship. And so Ezra is about to leave, and he goes through. He's leading like 5,000 people back to Jerusalem, and he's like, we don't have any Levites. We don't have any artists. You know, we need some musicians. We need some of those, you know, moody guys that, you know, want to be creative. Like, we need some of those guys. Where are the Levites? And so he goes and he says, listen, if we're going to have temple worship, we need the Levites. And he asks people to serve. Now, this is one reason why I am never shy about asking people to serve in the house of God. It's a biblical thing. It's a God-honoring thing. It is a great privilege to be a servant in the house of God. And listen, for the, for the local church to operate, it, it never happens by the service of one or two people. Like, it, it, it takes a whole army to, to fulfill the mission and the worship of God. And so, you know, here at, at our church, we have people doing all kinds of things. And we would love to have more people doing more kinds of things. Because, listen, the deeper that our leadership is, the, 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 the more impactful that the ministry will be. Amen? And Ezra's like, I need people to serve. I need people to serve. I hope that you have a ministry in the church. If you don't, we want to help you find one. And that's why we have our growth track classes here at the church to help people do that. 101, 201, 301. Those things help put us on the pathway to service in the house of God. But we should be ready to serve God. I mean, 220 people are ready to go to serve in the house of God as Ezra summons them. And we should be ready to serve. We should ask people to serve, okay? We should be ready to serve. Um, and, and isn't it interesting that God brings the people to serve? Now, I love that part, right? 
it's, it's kind of like sometimes it's easy to feel like if you're a church leader, like, we need help. We need people. But remember this, God is the one that brings people. And so there, there's a beautiful chemistry. There's a beautiful relationship between God bringing people and people saying, I am willing to do whatever I need to do for the worship of God to take place. I want to be a part I want to do my role, whatever that is, and this is what begins to happen. Now, when Ezra gets to Jerusalem, he calls the people out for, for intermarrying and for adopting the Canaanite religious practices, and there's a great revival that happens at the end of the book of Ezra. It's one of the great spiritual awakenings of the Old Testament. It's an awesome thing, but it started... With the study of God's word, seeking God's word, and allowing the hand of God to orchestrate the situations and scenarios around. Listen, I know you need a hand today. I know you need a hand today. The hand of God is with you. The hand of God is going to open doors of opportunity. In fact, listen, when God opens a door, no person can shut it. And when God closes a door, no person can open it. Amen? So we need the sovereign hand of God. But don't be anxious today. Don't be filled with doubt and worry. God is going to open every door that he's put before you. And you're going to accomplish everything that he's called you to do by his mighty right hand. Would you pray with me for a moment?